We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville, partnered with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello here to talk about the first of many, we hope, Titans wins of the 2022 (laughs) season. What's up, Justin? Doing well, man. Doing First of many. That sounds pretty hopeful to me. I hope. I'm here in London. I'm here in London to cover the NFL game that is in London this weekend, the Vikings Saints game. So I'm in a hotel room. I got a road kit, and I mean that like I'm on the road, but it does it is also road branded R O D E. So here we are. Double entendre on the Music City Audible. <laughs> you know, just uh that's the dedication we have here. It's it's what is it, 3 30 p.m. for you in the East Coast, Toronto. I'm it is here, 8.30 p.m. British time, if, if that's is <laughs> that a time zone. <laughs> the amount of dedication on this podcast, if you listeners don't appreciate, I am currently staring at Graver in a dimly, and I do mean dimly lit, London, I was going to say downtown London. I'm not convinced it's downtown London hotel. Can the NFL not fork out a couple more bucks for this hotel? What's going on here? No, it's actually really nice. It's like really nicely lit. It just doesn't translate well to the to the laptop webcam going on situation here. I was gonna say I've seen I've seen the latest league numbers. They look like they're doing well, not hurting for money. So we got we got to figure it out, Roger. Yeah, right. We are in we are on Park Lane, which is in London. I think it's downtown or I don't know Central London. We're in Central London. So anyway, let's get into the podcast. But before we talk about the game, a tiny bit of news to hit. The Titans have let go of Derek Tushka, who you know, was out there on the field a lot in this game, and they have decided to bring in Mario Edwards. What do we know about this guy? Mario Edwards, a seven-year vet, heads over from the Jacksonville practice squad, 28 years old, been around a long time, 86 games, 25 starts, 16 and a half career sacks, 118 tackles. I think the most interesting thing about this swap for me, and it's not a like-for-like replacement. This is a 280-pound defensive lineman they're adding, right? Mm. So they get rid of Derek Tuska, uh, you can kind of come to your own conclusions. Is that a good sign that Bud Dupree is going to be healthy for this game against the Colts? Potentially, because they're now lighter at outside linebacker than they were a few days ago. There's also the possibility uh, that they just see Mario Edwards as a great run stopper. We've talked about the struggles in the run game, uh, and we'll talk about that more in, uh, in the next episode. With, again, you know, as we preview the Colts game and going up against Jonathan Taylor, that's expected to be Mario Edwards' debut. So perhaps this is just a move to get Mario Edwards into the interior, maybe play some of that DeMarcus Walker role as Dina Kawatri continues playing the edge, help them set the edge a little better, help them up the middle because Edwards does have some positional versatility. But again, this isn't a like-for-like replacement. They're dropping an outside linebacker, quote-unquote, pass rusher, and they're adding a big-body D lineman. Could that be good news on the Bud Dupree front? We sure hope so, but we'll have to wait to find out. Yeah, exactly. So that is the latest on the Titans roster. Let's start talking about this Raiders game. Titans pulled off the Raiders 24-22 final score. Titans score touchdowns on their first three drives, score points on four of their first five drives, all 24 points in the in the first half, the most points they've scored in a first half 
since the game against Kansas City that they won uh, 30 to 3 or 27 to 3 or whatever that game was. 27 3, I think, or 24th or something along those lines last they had, year. They had 27 in the first half in that game. So this is the Titans' highest scoring half since that game. But as we've seen now three times in a row this season, the second <laughs> half offense was putrid and could not muster anything. So we're going to talk about it. Overall takeaway from this game. You go into a game 0-2 against an AFC playoff hopeful who's also 0-2, and all you can really do is hope to come out with the win. And the Titans did it. Much-needed victory to get them to 1-2, and not be in last place in the NFL because the Raiders are now the only 0-3 team. That would have been the Titans if they lost that game. <laughs> um, but what did you make of this game? Titans jump out to a big lead and then let the Raiders come crawling back in it. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I want to uh, kind of mention here is shout out to last week's guest, Mar- Marcus uh, Marcus Mosher. Knocked it out of the park, didn't he? He said it was going to be an ugly game. Uh, yeah. He thought it, Mike Vrabel was probably better positioned as a head coach to pull out a close victory um, as opposed to Josh McDaniels and the new staff there in Vegas. And I would argue that's essentially what we saw. It was, you know, a fairly ugly game, particularly in the second half, at least from Tennessee's uh, point of view. Uh, But they pulled it out, as you said. Now, uh, I I won't lie. Towards the end of that game, as they, you know, pulled out that victory, I wasn't feeling overly great. (laughs) It really felt like they probably should have blown it. Right. That, that certainly the two point conversion. And then uh, I didn't have faith they'd recover the onside kick. Right. I yeah, guess I that's just <laughs> Titans fan syndrome. Where you sort of expect everything to go wrong at that point. Um, and, and then I started thinking this morning and this wasn't me just trying to feel better about it. Cause it was actually through a conversation I had with a couple of colleagues, uh, you know, you know, have their fans teams that they're fans of as well and going through their losses this morning and all that. And, you're kind of reminded that it's really difficult to win in this league, right? As cliche as it sounds, it's not easy to win on a weekly basis. You kind of just, you take your W's ugly or pretty and you move on, right? And you get ready for the next week. And then Mike Vrabel, it's funny, after I thought, said something similar, right? His press conference, he said, you know, as he always says, we'll never apologize for winning. We, you know, we don't really care how it comes. We're going to take it and move on. So you, you've got to feel a little better and then. And I felt really good about the first half offense, right? It, it kind of felt like a throwback, right? Something that you enjoyed seeing reminded you of 2019, 2020. Ryan Tannehill was excellent in that first half. I believe it was 14 of 17 for nearly 200 passing yards and a touchdown. The offense was downright surgical. I thought the offensive line was really good in that first half. It, again, it reminded me of a better performing Titans offensive line when yeah. they were extremely physical. That was the main thing that I was noticing throughout that first half up front was they were physical. They were getting a hat on a hat. They were winning the trench battle. Derrick Henry, again, looked like Derrick Henry of old. Uh, interesting how they got him more involved in the passing game, right? I think yeah. that's something we may want to touch on. Shades of early season last year right, where all of a sudden he was heavily involved in the passing game and he was putting up these historic numbers from a volume perspective. Of course, eventually he, he suffered the injury, but that volume we saw uh, against the Raiders uh, reminded me of early season Henry last year with how much he was, uh, how much work he was getting in the passing game. But for me, it was really the O-line, how, how often they were calling play action passing attempts. Again, you saw a lot of success on play action. Uh, thanks to Zach for putting the numbers out on Twitter. That's at F words pod, where this was by far uh, the most play action they had called in the three games this year. And dating back to last year, no surprise when they're, when they're hitting on play action, when they're calling it 40, nearly 50% of the time they win football games. Yeah, exactly. And 
that's some of the key numbers in this game where Derrick Henry, 20 carries, 85 yards and a touchdown and five catches for 58 yards. And yeah, I totally agree. It felt like the offensive line was actually getting some push and opening some holes. It wasn't all the offensive line. Henry was like hitting those holes hard and bouncing and spinning off tacklers and fighting his way for extra yards and like turning five yard gains into eight yard gains and 10 yard gains into 24 yard gains. And he looked like the old Derrick Henry and you love to see that and you love to see him catch the ball whether it was like the design screen that was an insane play because he like almost didn't catch it and like had it pinned to his shoulder for a second and then turned it upfield. Like after all that time, I thought for sure he was going to get tackled for like a five yard loss. And somehow yeah, me too. it actually ended up working out because it gave the offensive line time to get out in space and set up the block so that he had room to run with. And then there were other times where Tannehill just checked it down to Henry and he turned around and turned into a positive gain. So the more you can get your stars involved, the better. He was really the only star we saw the Titans get involved. I guess Robert Woods finally had his welcome to Tennessee coming out party with the big deep catch and a few third down conversions. And overall, this Titans offense in the first half looked like the peak elite Titans offense that we saw for most of 2019, for most of 2020, and that disappeared for the majority of 2021. And we hadn't really seen it yet in 2022. So nice to see that that offense is still there even without AJ Brown without Taylor Lewan. I thought Dennis Daly held up pretty well in pass protection he wasn't elite but if you look at the PFF grades he wasn't even their worst lineman not even close to it actually so I thought he did pretty well Tannehill only took one sack that was on a play where Nick Westbrook was trying to block Max Crosby which I don't know how you ever even line <laughs> Less up than and ideal. let that happen <laughs> less than ideal Tannehill was under a good bit of pressure, but he did a good job getting rid of the ball, seeing when the blitzes were coming, hitting his hot reads. So overall, I mean, the first half offense, if you can get that for, you know, three quarters out of four every game, that's going to win you most games. It's the problem is when the entire second half is just like a shell trying to bleed the clock. And that's, I don't know, we can talk about that a little bit, but overall, I thought it was a good showing for the offense, even though Traylon Burks didn't have a huge game and he had a drop that was a really off-target pass, and I don't know why he jumped to try to catch that ball. If he hadn't jumped, he might have had it, or if Tannehill hadn't gotten hit as he was throwing, it could have been a big first-down conversion, and then you know, who knows? The whole story could be different because if they convert that, the drive could have gone on to something. But still, problems in the second half um, continue to rear their head. Yeah, for me, a couple of things I want to know. You you talked about Robert Woods there. So nice to see him finally emerge as the team's number one receiver. Someone had joked, oh, they, they remember they traded for Robert Woods in the offseason. And that was certainly nice to see a team high, uh, 85 receiving yards on four receptions, including a 41-yard catch. That was the one that you were talking about, the deep ball. He was targeted a team high nine times. Really, really uh, a good sign, right, to see Robert Woods so involved yeah. in the passing game. I'd like to see that continue against uh, Indianapolis in week four. Uh, the second half offense I do think is worth touching on. Really no success to be found. As you said, zero points scored. Conservative, putrid, bleeding clock. Certainly <laughs> some execution issues as well. Talk about the, you know, the run blocking What wasn't quite as good. You probably also saw a Raiders defense that was more committed to stopping the run in the second half. Can't blame them when they know the Titans are going to run the ball up multiple scores, especially with Derrick Henry in the backfield. But again, you, you talked about going into their shell, becoming conservative. Those are concerning signs to me because that is something that could have absolutely cost them this football game yesterday. And to a degree, they're probably fairly like lucky that it didn't. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the second half, it's small sample size still. So it's kind of hard to really tell. But three of their four drives that weren't the Neil drive, there was three plays minus one yard interception on really just maybe the worst decision Tannehill's made this season to throw the ball. His only bad play, I thought, in this whole game. But it was a I terrible play. 
I'll raise you the pick six against Buffalo, man. They're neck and neck right now. (laughs) Yeah. That one felt, felt not as bad because it was at that point, the game was over if they didn't throw that pick six, whereas this one like gave the Raiders a chance to get back into things. Um, Their other, their other possessions, they had a six play 26 yard drive that ended in a punt. They had a three play minus one yard drive that ended in a punt with, you know, under four minutes to go in the game, or if you get one first down there, you can actually ice the game away. And instead of doing that, they, um, they lost yardage that Ryan Tannehill took that big sack and fumbled. Nick Westbrook dove on the fumble and then third and 21, you know, you just kind of give up handoff, but their other drive, their, their fourth drive that wasn't a kneel down in the second half. It was actually the second drive of the second half, but the fourth one that I'm talking about now went nine plays, 54 yards. It was the drive where Hilliard had that catch over the middle on third down back deep in their own territory and took it for 30 yards. They got across midfield. They got to the Vegas 44 yard line. And I loved I did. I loved the decision to go for it on fourth and four, especially it was third and one and the Titans handed off to Henry. He loses three yards. And now it's like, if he just has a no gain type of play, then it's all good. You know, you can go for it on fourth and one, but when you lose three yards, now it's fourth and four from midfield, but Vrabel stayed aggressive, kept the offense on the field, went for it. And that's when Tannehill was under pressure and tried to hit Burke. So if that, again, if that play is converted, then we do have a productive second half drive that goes down and probably gets points because that catch would have put them in field goal range. But it is what it is. You know, it's hard to hard to really judge. The interception crushed one drive. They were bleeding clock under four minutes for one drive. And then they had a punt and a productive drive that ended on fourth down. So uh, is it as bad as it really feels like? Because, you know, the Giants game was kind of the same story. They let the Giants get back into that game because the second half offense was totally, you know, absent. And then the Giants were able to win. In this game, it didn't hurt them as much. But if you really look at the numbers, like the offense had a chance to be better in the second half. And I don't know. I mean, last week I brought up concerns about second half and second half adjustments, right? You were outscored 13-7 in the third quarter against the Giants in week one. Outscored 24-0, uh, I believe, in the third quarter against the Bills. And yesterday, okay, you were only outscored sorry, on you know Sunday, of course. You were only outscored 3 nothing in the third quarter against the Raiders, but you didn't score a second half point. And then you were outscored 9 nothing in the fourth quarter um, by the Raiders. And really, again, a two-point conversion away from possibly going to overtime. So yeah. second half adjustments, second half results continue to be a concern for me. And, they, and yes, of course, these numbers are somewhat skewed by that Buffalo game where you outscored third, you know, 24 or nothing in the third quarter. But the fact is you've been outscored in every third quarter this season. Uh, so the issue has really been present throughout every single game. And that's borderline concerning, especially when you have a coaching staff, you know, that, that you like, right. You, you like a head coach like Mike Rabel. This team has typically made great second half adjustments under Mike Rabel. So this is a bit of a weird um, uh, sort of a weird theme that's beginning to emerge here. Yeah, pattern you definitely want to see not continue uh, next week against the Colts. All right, I do want to talk about the Titans' defense in this game, but before we do, first, a reminder to check out the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville, the best burgers and worsts. And that's a lot of beef they got over there, the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. And we got some beef on this show. I think we should introduce for the first time our beef of the week, Justin. Yeah, I'm about to debut a new segment here. I can't promise our listeners that this will be a weekly occurrence because there has to be a legitimate beef that we have in order to do this. The pharmacy's got the best beef in town, the best beef burgers you're going to find. So make sure you head over to the pharmacy. But my beef of the week is with whoever the hell in the Titans building (laughs) decided to play Terrence Mitchell over Caleb Farley on Sunday at cornerback. 
Mitchell played more than 75% of this team's defensive snaps. Caleb Farley was on the field for one defensive snap. Mitchell was absolutely terrible. We're about to get into that as we talk about the defensive side of the ball, the Titans' performance against the Raiders defensively. That is my beef of the week, and it's sponsored by the Pharmacy, baby. Yes, beef of the week. Thank you to the Pharmacy for that segment. And let's now turn our attention to the Titans' defense here because this is the the side of the field that concerns me right now for the Titans. Like As much as the offense is struggling in the second half, the defense has not looked really that good at after the first half against the Giants. Like, that was the only good half of football they've really played. And I know the Raiders only scored 22 points here, and, and you know, six of those came with minutes left, seconds left in the game even. But just looking at how many yards they're allowing, the story of this game is that the Raiders, for whatever reason, could not convert on third down. They were one for 12 on third down, and then they could not convert in the red zone where they were two for six on in terms of scoring touchdowns. Kevin Byard had an interception in the red zone, but was... I mean, it was a right place, right time, good reaction, great ball skills by Bayard, but really that should have been a touchdown for Darren Waller, bounced off his hands and he let it go. Right through his hands. It's not like the defense made a really great play to stop the Raiders in the red zone. It felt more like the Raiders shooting themselves in the foot, false start penalties near down near the goal line, delay of games that didn't even hurt them because on fourth and 15, they go up top to Matt Collins, which is why the secondary is so concerning. Terrence Mitchell signed earlier in the week off the Patriots practice squad is active for this game and only active. He's playing a huge number of snaps. Where is Caleb Farley? What what do you make of this cornerback situation? Because it's one thing when your pass rush is weak and you have a strong secondary to make up for it. It's one thing when you have concerns in the secondary, but you have a strong pass rush to make, make up for it. But with Harold Landry out for the year, Bud Dupree not playing in this game, and Caleb Farley, I guess, not being ready, according to Mike Vrabel, he's not ready is what Vrabel said. That leaves a lot of concerns on the defense. A side of the ball that we thought was going to be very strong coming into this season didn't do a lot versus Buffalo. And honestly, like I know, again, the Raiders only scored 22 points, but I test wise, it felt like the Raiders were able to just march down the field. The only reason the Titans were able to get a stop is because on third down, the Raiders just like became an incompetent offense and went one for 11. Their only first down conversion was when Derek Carr ran it, scrambled on that one. So I, I don't know. How do, what do you make of this defense? Because on the one hand, it's like, oh, Ben, but don't break. But is Ben, but don't break really a real thing? Or is it just like a small sample size thing where the offense made a mistake and that's why the defense didn't break? Yeah, there are definitely some concerns. Like, And these concerns are real, right? Like they're allowing 401.3 yards per game right now defensively. That ranks near the bottom of the league. Puts them in some awful company. Like the Houston Texans are allowing 410. 53 snaps for Terrence Mitchell. <laughs> he was dreadful, right? That's 76% of the team's overall defensive snaps. They sign this guy, immediately start him outside, right? He allowed six completions on eight targets for 102 yards and a touchdown. That's from Pro Football Focus. Derek Carr had a quarterback rating of 156.3 when targeting Mitchell in coverage. He had an especially awful fourth quarter, right? Like if you watch, that was really, it was the two plays, right? But they were both backbreakers, right? It was the fourth and 15, where all he's got to do is keep the receiver in front of him And he lets Matt Collins get behind him. What was it? A 60 yard completion. I believe it was. And then just a few plays later on that same drive, uh, Hollins absolutely embarrasses him, right? Mosses him on a leaping catch. Terrence Mitchell is five foot 11. Matt Collins is six foot four. Caleb Farley is six two, right? They could have used Farley's size on that play. Instead, Hollins just embarrasses the crap out of him, goes up high point. It's not a high percentage throw. Right. Yeah. That's how much confidence they had in Matt Collins versus Terrence Mitchell. It's a it's in all honestly a terrible throw. 
terrible decision, terrible play in my opinion, right? right? It's a low percentage play, but he goes up and then what he gives a little shrug celebration and signals that Terrence Mitchell is too small. I mean, you go back and watch that play. I rarely disrespect NFL players because they are elite athletes, right? Every single one of them is an elite athlete. Watch how low Terrence Mitchell jumped off the ground. It's unbelievable. (laughs) He gets like half an inch off the ground, an inch off the ground. It's unbelievable, right? For an NFL athlete. Like it's, it's really, initially I had thought, oh man, you know, he's in pretty good positioning. It's a nice catch by Mac. No, it was pretty terrible, right? It was pretty damn terrible. So the whole thing is embarrassing. It's a new low for Caleb Farley in all honesty, right? To be honest, right. 53 to one. This guy just got there like four days ago. And he's a, he was on a practice squad for a reason. He's a veteran journeyman, right? He's a, he's a multi-year NFL pro, had some really bad years in Houston, right? Played in Kansas city for a little while. Like the only thing you can say, look, they're like, Caleb Farley played a lot of snaps week two in Buffalo. Eventually they ended up replacing him a little bit, right? They kind of went to Trey Avery who had an even worse night than Caleb Farley did. Right. The only nice thing you could say about Caleb Farley here is that when Christian Fulton got hurt for a play, they put Farley on the field and not Trey Avery. Right? That, yeah, that was I the guess. one decision they made that said, oh, we'll go with Farley, right? Like you're talking about the injuries at corner. And I know I'm ranting here, but you've got Elijah Molden on IR. Yeah. You've got Chris Jackson on IR. You've got mm-hmm. uh, Ugo Amadi was ruled inactive due to injury in this game. They literally flat out chose Terrence Mitchell over Caleb Farley, right? They kicked Roger McCreary inside to the nickel. Imagine how much Farley's going to play. And I know these guys are nickel players, but imagine how much Farley's going to play when guys like Elijah Molden and Chris Jackson get back. He's going to potentially play. Like, there's no doubt when Elijah Molden is healthy, all the corners are healthy. This is Christian Fulton and Roger McCreary on the outside with Elijah Molden in the nickel. And then you also have Ugo Amadi potentially mixing into the middle. Well, what happens if one of those outside corners gets hurt? At this point, there's no guarantee it's going to be Caleb Farley because it wasn't on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting situation to track here because it looks like, like as it stands now, this is going to be another first-round bust for the Titans. But on the other side of that is Caleb Farley's inexperience, and you do have to give him a chance at least to, like, I mean, I don't know what Vrabel's waiting for. Just, like, throw him out there and see if he can make some plays. But he got torched in Buffalo so is that really the best strategy? But it's not like he could be any worse than Terrence Mitchell was on Sunday. So from that standpoint, I say throw him in the fire and let him get experience. And if experience crushes him, then he's not going to be a good player anyway. So like, let's just see what you have. I wrote on the Patriots, you know, quite a bit throughout the summer. And I, so I followed them training camp, you know, preseason fairly closely. That was not a very good cornerback room. Right, they got some serious questions at cornerback. The Patriots do right. Malcolm Butler retired or, or ended up on IR, I believe it was. Like uh, they lost J.C. Jackson in free agency. Like some serious issues there. When I saw the Titans had to pluck a cornerback off their practice squad that wasn't good enough to make their active roster, and uh, I don't want to give I, I you know I don't want to give Mike any flack, but I, I I tweeted at Mike Herndon earlier in the week when he was like, well at least we won't have to watch Trey Avery out there when they signed Terrence Mitchell. I said, just <laughs> you wait a minute, you'll see it's not going to be any better than Trey Avery was, um, and it really wasn't. Yeah, it was not. Um, there were some positives on the defensive side of the ball. Rashad Weaver had maybe one of the best rushes of his pro career just dipping around the the uh, right tackle, the left edge of the defense and getting right to Derek Carr for the Titan, for what was at the Titans only sack of the day. And Danico Autry is still a game wrecker and was getting tons of pressure. And those two guys are guys that are, you know, stars. Of course, Kevin Byard with his first interception of the season in his 100th career game, 
he looks like he's still a stud. David Long was flying around making plays. Um, but yeah, there's there's concerns with the injuries that are happening out there and just the general like skill level of some of these players that are having to play because of those injuries. Rashad Weaver, a team high, three sacks now. We talked after week one about him potentially getting to 10 sacks this year. He's already at three. That was a terrific rush. Let's talk a little about the pass rush or lack thereof. Then I kind of I want to wrap up this conversation about depth um, at edge and cornerbacks. I think those two things tie in together nicely. Without Bud Dupree in this game, without Ola Adaini, um, Titans are forced to play Derek Tuska who they had promoted to the 50, I guess they had, well, they had initially just signed him directly to the 53-man roster off the Steelers practice squad. And then Wyatt Ray, right, who's on a comeback tour here um, after playing for the team in 2020 when the pass rush was anemic. Um, Wyatt Ray is back, and it's like a familiar theme. If Wyatt Ray is on the Titans 53-man roster, things are bad at the edge position, right? It was bad in 2020. It looks bad right now. I don't know that I noticed Derek Tuska or Wyatt Ray on a well, single play. On I noticed Sunday Derek Tuska, or maybe it was right where I honestly, I can't even tell them apart, but somebody <laughs> who was supposed to be setting the edge on one of those Josh Jacobs to the outside runs was completely just nowhere and going. I mean, he was either inside or not getting off his block. So I noticed them from a negative standpoint and thinking to myself, if Bud Dupree or Harold Landry was out there setting the edge, this Titans run defense would look a lot better than it does. This defense needs Bud Dupree back so badly, and they need him to be healthy all year long. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll, of course, put my hand up and say I'm concerned that that's not the likely outcome, right? This is a guy that missed multiple games last year with knee soreness as he got back from the ACL. He's already banged up here. We just completed week three. He's got a, knee, a hip injury that held, held him out of this one. They need him back so bad. It's crazy how quickly things snowball in this league. And I want to put a bow sort of on this episode by saying this. And I don't mean for it to be all doom and gloom, but entering the year, we felt so good about two things on defense, right? This pass rush and this cornerback room. What did we say about the cornerback room? We said, oh, you know, that Jack Rabbit Jenkins, it was the, you know, the lone loss. They're going to find great cornerback to play, whether it comes from Caleb Farley, Roger McCreary, whatever it is, they're going to have good cornerback play. They really haven't had good cornerback play, right? And 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 it's it's a couple of things. And yes, of course, it is injuries with Elijah Molden out. But I don't know how much. Let's not overly blame injuries there, to be honest. Because how much were you counting on Ugo Amadi and Chris Jackson before the season, right? Those are the only other two guys that are injured in addition to Elijah Molden. What's happened? You haven't received the year two jump from Caleb Farley like you thought you were going to. Um, Roger McCreary, in all honesty, I mean, he's a rookie. He's out there playing 100% of defensive snaps. He's taking his bumps and bruises. He's been good. He certainly hasn't been terrific. But again, I, I, I kind of feel bad for the guy, right, that he's out there playing 100% of defensive snaps. It's probably not what the plan was initially. So right. he said they're going to get great cornerback to play. They haven't. Right. No. They haven't really replaced Jack Rabbit Jenkins in the manner we, we thought it was going to be easy. In all honesty, it's a bit of a reality check moment because it hasn't been easy, not well, by any stretch of the imagination. Like we talked about this cornerback room. Did we ever think Trey Avery would be starting in week two and Terrence Mitchell would be starting <laughs> in week three? Like that's how quick things snowball in this league. And then you look at the pass rush again. We talked about the depth of this group. Now, this one, I am willing to chalk up to injury because oh, obviously yeah. it's a different situation altogether. You lost Harold Landry for the season. Bud Dupree is already injured. And then Ola Adaini, you know, is a depth guy you'd like to have, certainly gives you more than Derek Tuska or Wyatt Ray do. Ola Adaini is not going to come in and single-handedly save this pass rush, but he is a better option than the two, you know, the two guys that were playing on Sunday. 
So it's a stark reminder of how quick things, how quickly things snowball in this league. Like they need Bud Dupree. They need him against the Colts immediately because that Colts offensive line hasn't been very good. It's been a disaster. We'll get into that later on this week's, uh, you know, preview episode when we bring on our guest, Zach Hicks um, uh, from Sports Illustrated Colts and Locked On Colts to discuss what's, what's happening with that offensive line. Uh, but if, if they don't have Bud Dupree in that one, I, I, I have a feeling that Colts old line is going to look really good against Wyatt Ray. <laughs> That's what these Titans defensive pass rush do. Like I said it in our chat the other day. It feels like the 2020 Titans when they tried everything, Vic Beasley to Devion Clowney and then had to cut Beasley. Like it feels like that year's pass rush went Derek again. Wyatt Tuska Ray. literally looks like a physical clone of who is that guy they brought in? The the long blonde Brooks hair. Reed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They look the same. They play the same, right? You're getting the same results. Like it really is a throwback to 2020 right now. Yeah, really. Um, One last thing I want to say is shout out to Christian Fulton for being a stud. He had an excellent game. He had some great moments in coverage. He had some great moments coming downhill to make stops for a loss, whether it was like out in the flat or in the backfield. He did give up a big play that was called back for an offensive holding penalty. So we'll just forgive him for that because it doesn't go in the stat sheet and it never happened. Um, But overall, I think, you know, what we did expect to see from our cornerback one play, you have seen Christian Fulton being a star. I thought Christian Fulton was very good. I'm not going to lie, not to put a damper on the conversation. That's another guy whose health I, I'm super concerned about, right? Like he missed, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit of time as a rookie uh, in year one. Uh, didn't get on the field a whole lot. Of course, he was down the pecking order. He missed time as a sophomore. He's already banged up this year, right? Like he had a hamstring. He missed the Bills game, I believe, with a hamstring injury. It's been on the injury reports. He's probably not playing at 100%. Again, he came off the field uh, for uh, you know that one snap late in the fourth quarter. If Christian Fulton goes down with an injury, has to miss more time, boy, this cornerback room is doom and gloom. Oh, yeah, it's not going to be good. Um, all right, anything else you want to say about this game before we put a bow on the episode? I'll say one last thing. One, one, one more concern while we're in concern mode. The Titans' run defense was, again, very bad in this game, and they are lucky that the Raiders abandoned the run. And it's not because the Raiders were trailing 24 to 10 or whatever, because the Raiders came out in the second half while they were down by a big score and had a drive where they basically just ran the ball for almost the whole drive. It was like six of seven first plays were runs, and they were just going right down the field on the Titans' defense. And then the clock was ticking and then, you know, running out of time, so they stopped running the ball, but I feel like if the Raiders had really committed to the run in this game, it would have exposed the Titans, and that's an area you know the Colts are going to commit to is run game with Jonathan Taylor. So why not just leave off this episode with one more concern, or should we do one little bit of happiness after that? Because I have one more thing I could say. Get into some happiness. All right. One and two feels like a really bad start to the season, but you'd rather be starting the season bad, and then getting better and finishing on a high note. Here's some other teams that are one and two that coming into the year probably had higher expectations than being one and two. The Los Angeles Chargers. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders are 0-3. Um, the New Orleans Saints. The San Francisco 49ers. The Arizona Cardinals. Like, There's a lot of teams that are one and two. And then there's also a lot of teams that are two and one. When the Titans are a few plays away from being two and one, and those things can even themselves out. Uh, you know, over the next few weeks, there's only two teams in the league that are three and oh, the Eagles and the Dolphins. And now we record this before Monday Night Football, so the Giants could join them. But I don't I don't know how that game's going to go. But right now it's just the Eagles and the Dolphins. Not even the mighty Bills are undefeated. They're only one game ahead of the Titans. Of course, they have a tiebreaker now, too. But the point is, it's early in the year. 
There's a lot of good, quote-unquote, good teams that are in the same position the Titans are in. The Titans should continue to get healthier with the exception of Harold Landry. So you hope that this can be one of those Mike Vrabel teams, you know, like the 2019 squad that just gets better and better as the season goes on and is hitting peak form come playoffs. You said it. I mean, I think that puts a bow on the... I mean, the Chargers should be full-blown panic mode, especially with the injuries to Bosa and Rayshon Slater and what's going on with Justin Herbert. Oh, yeah. Uh, But that puts a good bow on the episode, in my opinion. Uh, Listeners, check back later this week. Great uh, preview episode coming with Zach Hicks for a huge, huge divisional showdown against the Indianapolis Colts, right? This is as big as it gets in week four. Yeah, exactly. In week four, it doesn't get much bigger than this, but because of how the Titans... Colts schedule plays out with both of these games happening so early in the year. All right, that will do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Thank you for listening. Thanks to the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Make sure you're checking them out to either celebrate a Titans win or forget about a Titans loss. And also, be sure to check out the Broadway Sports Insider Pass. Justin can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99. or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also a ton of great podcasts and other content coming from Broadway Sports Media. All right. We will be back later this week, like Justin said, to preview the Titans-Colts game. Until then, you can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Of course, I am at Titans Film Room. You guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.